I am not a person who receives the temperature in the room. I set the temperature in the room. So are you ready for to go a little bit higher right now? Amen. It's thermostat or thermometer. Which one do you want to be? Amen. James chapter number one, if you have your Bible, James chapter number one, and then James chapter number two, and then Joshua. We're going three J's today. Two in one book, one in another book, James and Joshua. James chapter number one is where my text for this evening begins. The scripture again says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Sometimes you don't need the devil to deceive you. Sometimes you could just deceive yourself. How do I do that? I only listen to the word, but I don't do the word, and I become self-deceived. James chapter 2, verse number 20 says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. It's useless. It doesn't produce. And then Joshua chapter 3, verse number 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Today, as we continue our series, Mental Health Goals, I want to pick up where I left off last week, talking about how what we do solidifies what we believe. And you might recall the message was called, Just Do It. And we talked about actually doing the Word of God, the importance of just obeying and doing what God says. But we know we have to do it. But the question I have for you today is, how do we do it. How do we know, how do we do what we know we should do? And that's my title for this weekend, how to do it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace, by your power, and by the teaching and ministry of the Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts up to him right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. The amen was pretty strong. Got to give you all credit. That's a bounce back amen right there. Praise God. Last week we left off You remember we were talking about the mighty renewing weapons that God has given us to renew our minds so that we can experience the life that God has designed for us. Because our life always follows our mind. When we renew our minds, we receive and we walk in the life that God has designed for us. And we said, and we've been saying all along, that God has given us three mighty renewing weapons. Those three mighty renewing weapons can be remembered by the phrase, see it, say it, do it. We said the see it weapon is meditation. The see it weapon is meditation, which is how we begin to plant a new thought in our mind and to create these new neural pathways in our mind that we have been talking about. And if you're here for the first time, a neural pathway is basically the groove that is on your brain that has instructions on it that dictates to the rest of you how you are going to behave. And so we said meditation begins to create new neural pathways, meditating on the right things, meditating on the Word of God day and night, mulling it over. Remember, chewing it, swallowing it, spitting it up in your mouth, chewing it, swallowing it, spitting up in your mouth. That's what the word uh, meditate means. It means to renew, r- ruminate on it, to, to constantly get as much nutrition out of it as you can. So the mighty see it weapon. Then we said the mighty say it weapon of confession is how we strengthen the newly formed neural pathways that are reformatting our beliefs and becoming new mindsets. We begin to speak out the word of God. We don't just meditate on it, but we declare it over our life. And we talked about neurolinguistics, the time 
tie between what we say and what happens in our mind. And then we've come all the way to the third mighty renewing weapon of action, which is where the new mindsets and new neural pathways become glued into our brain, which in turn translates into automated healthy habits in our life that creates perpetual cycles of victory and empowers us to experience the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for our lives. And I want to simplify for a moment the result of the mighty do-it weapon of action with this little phrase. What we do is responsible for the glue. What we do is responsible for the glue. When our actions correspond with our beliefs, a glue that is actually a type of protein attaches the emotions and feelings and memories to cells in your brain to solidify your beliefs. And so what we do is responsible for the glue. When you do something, the right stuff is glued in your head if you do the right thing. If you do the wrong thing, then the wrong thing is glued in your head. So that's why we talked about doing it. Just do it. Do the word of God so that the right stuff gets glued in your head. Said scripturally, listen to it, James chapter 2 verse number 20, faith or belief without action or corresponding action is dead or destroys the intended outcome of the belief. If you believe something and you do something that contradicts the belief, you destroy the intended outcome of the belief. You have to have corresponding actions or what the scripture refers to or what, not the scripture, but what experts refer to as brain integrity. Brain integrity is when you believe and you do the same thing and your brain goes, I like that. But when your brain believes something and your actions do something else, your brain gets deceived. Your mind goes on warp. Your mind gets messed up. And that's what James chapter 1 verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. A deceived mind is a mind that expects that an outcome will be such and such, but doesn't get that outcome. And the way that we get a deceived mind is when our beliefs and our actions contradict one another instead of correspond with one another. And so that's why we spent all that time last week on the message, just do it. But here's the question that we have to ask ourselves today. How do we do it? How do we do what the Word of God has to say on a regular basis? How do we get to the point where the practicing the Word of God is our regular habit in every area of our life? For example, we all know as married people that, for instance, if you're a man, you have to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know that if you're a woman, you have to honor your husband as unto the Lord. But here's the question. How do we actually get in the habit of doing that? How do we live that out in our marriage so that we can have the marriage God has designed for us? We all know, for example, as believers, we ought to put God first in our finances. But how do we get to the point where that is actually what we are living out so that we can experience the blessed life financially that God wants us to have. We all know that to be spiritually fit, that you have to go to church, you have to read your Bible, you have to pray, you have to spend time with the Lord. Let me say that again. In order to be spiritually fit, you got to go to church, 
You have to read your Bible. You have to pray. You have to spend time with the Lord. Let me say it one more time. Because sometimes I don't think Christians really get this. Sometimes I think Christians think that they can have the benefits of spiritual vitality without doing the things that God says we must do in order to be spiritually fit. How do we get to a point where those are healthy habits in our life? We all know that to stop uh, that we we have to stop addictions in our life. We have to stop binging on the alcohol and drinking the alcohol. We have to stop overeating the food. We have to stop looking at porn. We have to stop doing all of these things that are just as rampant in the church as they are outside of the church. How do we get to a point where we establish healthy habits that create cycles of victory in our life? How do we do it? Enter Joshua. Joshua chapter number three, verse number five, actually the whole chapter, Joshua chapter number three. By the way, I'm only going to preach on one particular verse in this story. Go back home, read the whole chapter. After you've heard it, it'll mean something so much more to you. When we come to the story of Joshua in chapter number three, he is leading the children of Israel over the Jordan River into the promised land. And within this story is the hidden gem to our question of how to do it. How do we get to a place where our actions correspond with our faith so that our mind is renewed and we're able to walk in and experience the life that God has for us? Let me take you into the story so you can get the fullness of what this gem that I'm going to show you is all about. Number one, the story is about transition. It's about transition from Egypt into the promised land, specifically from the desert into the promised land. And I want you to know that sometimes when God delivers you from the place of bondage, you don't necessarily automatically walk into a place of freedom. That has a lot to do with what you do. Sometimes you go from the place of bondage to a desert. And they walked in that desert and walked in their desert. But now they are transitioning from the desert into the promised land. It's on the other side. They have wandered for 40 years. 40 years of wandering. 40 years of burials. 40 years of funerals. 40 years of living in tents. 40 years of not having a house to call their own. 40 years of not having a plot of land that belonged to them. 40 years of not having a playground for their kids to play on. 40 years of watching an entire generation die out. This is a story of transition and a transition that has cost them because transition always does. Transition always costs something. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you'll take up your cross daily and follow me. So the transition from being a believer to a disciple has a cost to it. Everything in life that you are going to transition from and into, you have to pay a price from. You cannot just transition automatically. Automatic transition doesn't happen. What are you willing to pay to get from where you are to where you want to go? There is no free advancement in life. It is a myth. That keeps people bound. There is no free advancement in the gospel. There is no free advancement in the kingdom. There is always a price that must be paid. And they are paying a dear price for this transition that they are going into. But it's not only a story of transitioning physical locations. It is a story of transitioning mindsets. They are transitioning from a slavery and wilderness mindset 
into a freedom mindset. Transitioning from a barely enough mindset to a more than enough mindset. Transition from being forced to obey to willfully following. Transition from scarcity to plenty. Transition from poverty to prosperity. And they, like us, are struggling with the transition of renewing their mind because when times got tough, they wanted to go back. You remember when they didn't have any food, right? Or they got tired of eating the manna and they were thirsty. What would they do? They complain to Moses and they'd go to Moses and said, did you take us out of Egypt just so we would die here in this desert? And then their mind went back to where they were delivered from. Has your mind ever gone back to where you've been delivered from? See, this is the enemy's trick. The enemy on your way to transitioning will always try to pull you back in your mind. And then what they said to Moses is they said, at least back in Egypt, we had onions and leeks. And I always crack up when I hear that. Because who craves onions and leeks? Right? I mean, you know, you, you are really, your mind is really deceived. If you're like, I need to go back and get me some onions and leeks. Oh! Who, who takes home from the restaurant the onions and the leeks, right? You leave that, you're like, nah, just push that aside. But their mind was pulling them back. This is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to pull you back in your mind because it's one thing for God to get us out of Egypt. It's another thing for God to get Egypt out of us. And this is about transition, Transitioning not just their physical location, but transitioning their mindset. It's also a season of transition in leadership from their beloved Moses to his servant Joshua. Moses was the man. And when Moses died, they wept for weeks. So much so that God had to have the body hidden, disappear from where they knew it was. So they would not permanently stop and camp around what was dead. That's a message all by itself, by the way. Because there's a lot of people, here's what happens in their life. They camp around what was dead or what is dead. And they spend the rest of their life in that spot, that spot of disappointment, that spot of loss, that spot of despondency. They camp out right there. And when Moses died in their mind, the promise had died. And and when when Moses died, it was like, are we still going to make it into the promised land? Are we ever going to get out of the wilderness? Are we ever going to get to the land that flows with milk and honey, Canaan's land? But even though Moses was dead, listen to me, God's promise still lived on. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I want to encourage you. The promise still stands. Your promise is not attached to a person. Your promise is attached to the living God of heaven. And as long as Jesus is alive, which is forever, your promise still stands. Never stop believing the promise. Fight for your promise. Believe until you cannot believe anymore. I have determined I will die believing a promise. If I never get it, that's all right. But I'm going to believe every day of my life because that's what God has asked me to do. My job is not to deliver the promise. My job is to believe for the promise. And if God has asked me to do that, I'm believing for it with everything that I got. Believe for it. And so they are in this place and they're believing or they, they stop believing. The promise for them has passed away with Moses. And now Joshua is taking over. He's now the keeper 
of the promise. By the way, when I was, when I was just meditating on this before the service, there are so many of us that are keepers of promises. If you're a parent, you're a keeper of a promise. If you're a husband, you're a keeper of a promise. If you're a wife, you're a keeper of a promise. If you're a boss, you're a keeper of a promise. It's precious to be a keeper of a promise. You can disillusion people when you don't handle the things that are entrusted to you and the promises that are entrusted to you the right way. Steward those things properly. And so Joshua is in this season of transition. And and, and Joshua is now in in this place where he has to transition from a servant's mindset set to a five-star general's mindset. He has to go from a follower's mindset to a leader's mindset. He has to go from executing orders, that kind of mindset, to giving orders and getting people to follow those orders mindset. He has to go from the rest of not being responsible for everything mindset to the unrest of knowing that the buck stops with you mindset. He is transitioning mindsets because you cannot walk into your promised land with the same mindset as you left Egypt with. In order to get where you're going or where God wants to take you, you must transition your mindset. If your mind can't get there, you'll never arrive at that location. So this story is about transition. Not just of one place to another, but of one mindset to another. And yet the two are intertwined because in order to get to a new place, you've got to develop a new mindset. And this is why the enemy tries to keep us stuck in our own mindsets for all of our lives because then he knows we cannot advance. But it's also why God has given us mighty renewing weapons so that our mind could be ever evolving more and more into the way that God wants us to think and our mind to behave. And so this story is about about transitioning the mind as much as it is about anything else. The enemy, though, listen to me carefully, fights hardest when your mind transitions to truth. The enemy will fight you hardest when your mind is transitioning to truth. And so they get to the Jordan River. And right now, they they can... Canaan's land is in sight. Seven miles from where they stand is Canaan's land. And they get to the edge of the Jordan River, normally an easily passable river. Normally anybody could pass through the Jordan River. But at this time, it just so happened when they arrived at the place of transition, when they were going from this place to that place, when they were going from this mindset to that mindset, the Jordan River is now at flood stage and the water is moving fast and it's moving furiously. It's deep and anybody that steps in will be swept away. But when the enemy comes in, what does the scripture say? Like a flood. The spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. See, some of you thought it said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. But really what it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. You say, Pastor, what what do you mean? How do you know that? I, I see where the comma is. There was no commas in the original language. You just put it wherever you want. Right? And so where you put the comma is a mindset. See, for you, the enemy is a flood. For me, God is a flood. See, for me... 
God's power overwhelms the enemy's power. It's a mindset. So anytime I read the word of God, I read it with the mindset that God is stronger than the enemy. That there is truly no weapon formed against me that can prosper. You have to read the word like you know the word to be. Otherwise, the enemy can twist the word. And how many of you know the enemy will always try to twist the word? He'll try to twist it in the way he says it. He'll try to twist it in the way that you read it. If he tried to twist it when he talked to Jesus, he'll certainly try to twist it when he talks to you and I, right? And so what the enemy means to stop them becomes the exact thing that God uses to transition their following from Moses to Joshua. The exact thing that the enemy was trying to put in their way to keep them from getting to the promised land, to keep them from transitioning, is the very thing that God uses to transition their hearts from Moses to Joshua. Because remember when Joshua took over, what did he tell him? He said, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Right? Remember what Moses did? He parted the Red Sea. Guess what God is about ready to do with Joshua? He's about ready to part the Jordan River so that the people who followed Moses because of what they saw God do through Moses can now follow Joshua because they're about to see that God is as faithful to Joshua. Don't you dare let an obstacle scare you because whatever the enemy means for evil, God will use for good. Whatever the enemy uses to keep you bound, God will use to turn your life around. Your obstacle is just an object lesson for God to prove himself and his faithfulness to you. Somebody ought to say amen. And so they're transitioning right now. Transitioning and the enemy is fighting because that's what the enemy does when your mind is ready to transition to truth. But the transition, any transition, is dependent upon our actions. In order for them to get through the Jordan River, Two things must take place. God has to part the Jordan River or stop the flow. And they have to step into the water while it's overflowing. What am I telling you? The transition of your mind is always dependent on a corresponding action with your life. They have to step in while it's on flood stage before God parts the waters. And when I was preparing this, the Holy Ghost said to me, tell them about the before principle. The before principle is before you see God move, he requires you to take a step of faith. For the blessing to come down, the praise has got to go up. Before it comes back on every wave, you got to sow your seed upon the water. Before he multiplies the oil, you've got to give him a pancake first. Before he sends fire from heaven, you've got to wet the wood on the altar. Before he walks with you in the midst of the fire, you got to refuse to bow before an idol. Before he parts the Red Sea, you have to stretch out your rod. Before he heals your issue of blood for 12 years, you've got to crawl through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. There is a principle called before and the before principle says you have to step. Your actions have to line up with your beliefs. God requires a step of faith, a seed of faith in order for him to do what he's promised to do. Step in, step in. We do what we can and what God has asked, and God does what we can't and what he's promised. 
Let me say it again. We do what we can and what God has asked, and God does what we can't and what he has promised. Let me say it again. We do what we can and what God has asked, and God does what we can't and what he's promised. Just do it. Step in, step in, step in, step in. While the Jordan is at flood stage, your step of faith is going to be a test of faith. It's not always easy for an action to correspond with a belief. But your action needs to be abrasive to doubt in order to destroy doubt and strengthen belief. And so oftentimes your action is very, very disruptive to your old habits. And it needs to be in order to disrupt the mindset that used to be there. You need to have an action that totally contradicts what was wrong in your mind before. And what God now wants you to believe that that is right. And so you got to step out when the waters are flowing over. And by the way, what I love about this is when Moses was leading, nobody had to step into the Red Sea before they, God parted it. God just said to Moses, stretch out your rod. That was easy. But it's a new generation. And the new generation has to actually get their feet wet and muddy. Before God actually makes a path through the Jordan River. What, I, what am I telling you? Every generation, listen to me carefully, is asked to do more in order to go further. You didn't get it. Every generation is asked to do more in order to go further. Sure, every prior generation stands on the shoulders of the generation that has preceded it and thank God for the generations that have gone before us who have paved the way for us to get thus far but every generation is always asked to take a further step and a deeper step in order to go to a further and better place. There's nothing for free. Drop it in your mindset. Forget it in your mindset. In order for you to achieve, you have to, you have to work hard to achieve. God will always do what you can't do if you do what you can do. But here's the question. How do we do it? How do we get to the place where we're actually taking that step of faith on a regular basis? Joshua gives us the secret in verse number three. Here's what he says, Joshua chapter 3, verse number 5. This is so simple, it's almost stupid. This is so simple, it's almost stupid. You know, sometimes it's the simplicity where, where the genius is, right? Genius is sometimes the ability to ascertain the obvious. Have you ever thought about something and thought about something and thought about something and thought about something? And, and you know, you had all these people who have been seeing it the same time, way the whole time and, you know, in, in, immersed in it. And somebody comes in from the outside and say, well, why don't you just do that? And you're like, oh, I hadn't done that. Yeah, why didn't, why didn't I see that? Let's know what Joshua says. Joshua tells the people. Now, now Joshua hasn't parted the Jordan River yet. So, so they're still wondering, is God going to be with Joshua like he was with Moses? Are we really going to make it through? Are we really going to Canaan's land? Are we signing up for failed leadership? And Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, I had a choice when I came to this text. I could have preached it two ways. I could have preached on the power of consecration. 
And that's a message that the body of Christ needs to hear because the body of Christ is so sloppy in their Christian walk. Believing that God's grace covers everything and I, I could do this and I could do that. But there is a place of consecration. When you consecrate yourself, Christ moves in your life. But that's not really the point of what I think Joshua is trying to say and the secret for how to do it. How do I develop healthy habits that become automated in my life so my mind is renewed and so that I am experiencing the will of God? Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. So when am I supposed to consecrate myself? Today. So the implied message is what I do today determines what God does tomorrow. Is it really, really, really? Is it, is it, is it that simple? How, pastor, how do I get to the place where I have healthy habits in all areas of my life producing cycles of victory? Are you ready for it? You have to have a win the day mindset. Not, not a, not a win the year mindset. A win the day mindset. Not a, not a win the month mindset. A win the day mindset. Not a win the week mindset. A win the day mindset. Not an MVP mindset, but the best game of my life mindset. Not a war mindset. Win the war mindset, but a win the day mindset. Not a parenting the best that I possibly can until my kid turns out the way that I want, but parenting the best that I possibly can today. Not the best husband until death do, do me part, but the best husband that I I can be right now, not sober for the rest of my life, but sober for the rest of today. Consecrate yourself today for tomorrow. God will do great things with you. What you do today affects what God does tomorrow. What you do today affects what God does tomorrow. Doing it day in, one day at a time, is how you develop Lasting habits that send messages to your mind that this is now the way we behave and therefore the new mindset that we have. Watch this. The father of our modern medicine, Sir William Osler, he lived by this motto. Do what lies clearly at hand. Do what lies clearly at hand. He went on to say the load of tomorrow aided to that of yesterday, carried today, makes the strongest falter. Let me say it again. Here's what he said. He said, the load of tomorrow added to that of yesterday, carried today, makes the strongest falter. Translation, don't be paralyzed by the things you cannot change yesterday or crippled by the things you cannot control tomorrow, but do put everything you have into winning today. Win the day. Now, this is not just just psychological mambo-jambo. This is actually taught in Scripture, and I know the message version can sometimes be a stretch, but sometimes it, it says it the right way. Listen to what it says. Luke chapter 9, verse 60, 62. Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off until tomorrow. Seize the day. What was Jesus saying? Stop worrying about what you're going to do tomorrow. Stop worrying about, you know, how you're gonna, how you're gonna fix this for the long run. Here's what Jesus simply said. He said, what can you do today? If you have it in your power to do it today, do it today, and let's win today. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10. Here's what it says. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. I love that. It's the only thing you get. 
for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Why win the day? Because what you do today affects what God does tomorrow. He's watching how I handle today. He's, his eye is on my faithfulness today. His eye is on my seed in the middle of my sorrow today. His ear is open to my prayer in the middle of my pain today. He's seeing how I handle the little blessing that he's entrusted to me today. He's watching if I'm faithful over what he's given me right now. And what I do today affects what God does tomorrow. Winning the day, by the way, is a principle that is taught over and over again in the scripture. Continuously. I'll give you a couple examples. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this, our daily bread. Interesting. Not give us our daily bread for the rest of our life, but give us this day our daily bread, right? The expiration date on manna was was how long? (laughs) One day, right? The deadline on your anger, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What's the expiration date? One day, right? God's mercies are new how often? Every morning, every single day. Take up your cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Watch this. In Genesis, God said there was evening and there was morning the first day. God actually stopped working at the end of every day and waited for the next day. Why? Winning the day is a principle that is taught over and over in scripture because winning the day is the way you win the war of your mind. You win today. What are you going to do to win in this moment? Every day you win, you develop a good habit that glues truth into your mind so that your mind is renewed and your life is transformed. And when you do it and 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 do it, eventually you believe it and believe it and believe it because the glue is released based on what you do. But then here's Joshua's real big message. When you win today, God brings miracles your way. Here's one version. One version says, consecrate yourself For tomorrow the Lord will do miracles. If you do the right thing today and then repeat it the next day and then repeat it the next day and then repeat it the next day and then repeat it the next day, each day taking it one day at a time, eventually you will experience the cumulative effect of long obedience compounding in the same direction. Eventually, if you just keep doing the right thing, one day at a time. I'm not worried about doing the right thing tomorrow. When I get up, I say, to, I say when I get up, this is my day. Today I'm going to win today. But, but, but until tomorrow, I'm just focused on now. I'm going to win this day. And when you continually win each day, you experiencing the compounding effect of long obedience in the same direction. The problem with Christians is they want to get rewarded for obedience immediately. And so they never experience the cumulative effect of long obedience. Like people who leave one job and go to another and leave one job and go to another and leave one job and go to another and leave one job and go to another. You never experience the cumulative effect of long obedience in the same direction. Or like people who bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship or marriage to marriage to marriage. You never experience the cumulative effect of long obedience in the same direction. There's power in that. There's miracle working power in that. Not, not think, not can you think the right thoughts for the next month, but can you think the right thoughts for today? 
Not can you say what God says for the next year, but can you say what God says for today? Not can you do the right thing for the rest of your life, but can you do it today? Can you eat right today? Can you exercise today? Can you treat your spouse right today? Can you pray today? Can you read your Bible today? Can you go to church today? Can you go without alcohol today? Can you do it for the day? Can you win the day? Every successful person understands the power of winning the day. Example, Tim Ferriss. You never heard of him, I'm sure. He's author of several New York Times bestsellers, and his bestsellers are not leaflets. They're huge. They're like as thick as phone books, right? Imagine this. Imagine if he sat down and said, I'm going to write a book as thick as a phone book. You know what would happen? He wouldn't write the book. So here's how he approaches it. His goal, two lousy pages a day. Two lousy pages a day. Today he says, my win, I'm getting two. Tomorrow he wakes up, my win, I'm getting two more. The next day he wakes up, I'm getting two more. I'm getting two more. And then, bam, cumulative effect of long obedience in the same direction, best-selling books, miracle happens because cumulative effect of it. So what am I telling you? Maybe you can't wrap your mind around having a good marriage because it's been bad for so long. But, but you're meditating on the word of God. You're confessing the word of God over your marriage. Now win today. Win a few, win a day with a few compliments today. Win with patience today. Win with forgiveness today. Win with listening and talking today. And bam, before you know it, out of nowhere, the miracle of a good marriage. Or take, for example, Igmar Bergman. You probably recognize that name, at least I hope you do. Director of Academy Award winning film after Academy Award winning film. Do you know how he does it? For every eight hours on the set filming. Eight hours. Guess how much usable filming he goes for? Three minutes. We work eight hours and we're good. We, we have won the day if we get three minutes of usable food. Now, if you work for me and you only produce three minutes in eight hours, you get five. But, but for this, right? Three minutes. And bam, the miracle of Academy Award winning films. The reason why winning the day is the key to how to do it or how to develop good habits is because winning a day is an easily attainable goal. Your mind works by attaining things. When you, when you get feed, the, the quicker you give your mind feedback, the quicker your mind reacts, restores, regenerates. Right? Let me read it to you this way. Here's what, here's what's happening neurologically. Our brains inherently want to prioritize and choose routine over new habits every time on their own. And this makes sense because our brains are, are, are operating to keep us safe. And so when something is new or strange, our brains go, no, 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 don't do that. Okay? When trying to change behavior, brain circuits for habitual, old, unproductive actions battle for control in your mind against new productive behaviors. Any goals that require radical behavioral or thinking pattern changes are met with resistance initially. Anything. Anything you try that's new, good or bad, it's initially met with resistance. Matter of fact, remember the first time you even tried to do something bad, it was met with resistance, right? Because because your brain doesn't really know whether it's good or bad. Your brain just knows action, response. 
action response. And so the quicker you can get your brain to get a response, the quicker your brain will begin to, to kick in. Any goals that require radical or thinking pattern changes are met with resistance initially. But you can override these feelings and change your brain and behavior by setting and accomplishing small, easily winnable goals that empower you to win a day. Each small win you get gives your brain a shot of our old friend, dopamine, the feel-good transmitter. Every time you get a win, your brain goes, because I like that. Go get another one. Your brain just keeps sucking in these shots of dopamine. And the more of those little hits of dopamine your brain gets each time you repeat the small winnable behavior, your brain begins to mold around that behavior until it becomes a new mind-transforming habit. And when we stack winning days upon winning days, guess what happens? A miracle emerges from that. And so you may not be ready to conceive that you can treat your spouse right for the next 30 years, but you can believe that you can do it for a day. Your mind may not be ready to, re- to to conceive that you can eat right for the rest of your life, but you can do it for a day. Your mind may not be ready to conceive a lifetime without alcohol or porn or drugs or nicotine or whatever, but you can do it for a day. You can win a day. You take care of today, listen, and God will take care of tomorrow. You pray in the upper room today, and God will pour out his spirit tomorrow. You cast your bread upon the water today, and God will make sure tomorrow it comes back on every wave. You treat your wife right or your spouse right today, God makes sure you have a blessed marriage tomorrow. You eat right today. You stay sober today. You make the right relationship decision today. You work hard today. God takes care of tomorrow. You consecrate yourself today, and God will cross you over the Jordan River tomorrow. You consecrate yourself today and what you didn't think would happen for the last 40 years, bam! Your miracle is on the way. Why? Because you won today. In order to do it, to develop the habits that will renew our mind and produce God's reward in our life, we must have a win the day mindset. How do I do it, Pastor? Do it for a day. Pastor, I, 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 I keep failing. Win today. Then win the next day. I want to give you one final thought so that you can win the day. I want you to see every day as a masterpiece. Anybody ever hear of John Wooden? John Wooden? Such a sports-deprived congregation. You don't know what you're missing out on. John Wooden, probably one of the greatest uh, college basketball coaches in NCAA history. He led the UCLA... UCLA Bruins, the seven NCAA championships in a row. In a row. You know how hard it is to, to win one, let alone back to seven in a row. He is revered for his coaching prowess, but, but his character was his secret. Remember, so a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Destinies are formed from character. Character is formed from habits. Habits are formed from actions. Actions are formed from thoughts, what you want to be starts out with what's going on in your mind. He, his character was his, was his secret. His coaching career didn't begin at UCLA. UCLA. It began at Indiana State Teachers College, where his team was invited to the NAIB National Tournament, which Coach Wooden declined because black players could not play in the NAIB 
B. And one of his players was an African-American. His name was Clarence Walker. Wouldn't believe that if all his players couldn't play, none of his players could play. So his refusal to play in the tournament caused the NAIB to reverse its decision, and Clarence Walker became the first African-American to play in a postseason intercollegiate basketball tournament ever. Here was his code of ethics. Here's what he lived by. Number one, he said, seven-point creed. Number one, he said, be true to yourself. He said, number two, help others. Check out number three. We're going to come back to it. Make each day your, your masterpiece. Number four, drink deeply from good books, especially the Bible. Number five, make friendship a fine art. Number six, build a shelter, build a shelter against a rainy day. Number seven, pray for guidance and count and give thanks for your blessings every day. Notice number three. Make each day a masterpiece. What is he saying? Win today. Consecrate yourself today for tomorrow God will do miracles. Each day is your masterpiece to do what God has instructed you to do so that your mind will be renewed and your life transformed. God himself made each day a masterpiece literally. God created day one. After day one was over, he looked back. He said, oh, that's good. What does he say? Masterpiece. Amazing. Until he got to the sixth day and then he changed his language and he just added one little word. He said, oh, that's very good. Why? Made you and me on the sixth day. Did you know God considers us masterpieces? Masterpieces that elevated his creation to a whole nother level. God made each day a masterpiece. Every single day. Why? Because if we win today, if we make each day our masterpiece, God will do miracles tomorrow. Do you know we take 23,000 breaths every single day? And, and do you know that Hebrew scholars say the name of, they pronounce the name of God, Yahweh. And do you know when you take out the vowels, it's yeah, 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 yeah. What does that sound like? breath. Every time you take a breath, you know what you're doing? You're saying the name of Jesus. You're saying the name of God. What are you saying? This is the day that God has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Today is my masterpiece. Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to get delivered. I don't know how I'm going to see God do miracles. I don't know how my mind is going to get renewed. Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to develop healthy habits in my life. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to win the day. You're going to win the rest of today. The rest of today, you're going to win. And then tomorrow when you get up, the first thought that's going to be on your mind is I'm going to win today. Today is my day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Today I will please God with everything in me. Today I will make decisions that honor God. Today I will glorify God in my words, in my actions, in the way I treat my wife, in the way that I work at work, when I get on my job. Because I'm not going there for a person. Because whatever I do, I do it as unto the Lord and not unto man. Why? Because I'm winning the day. And that's how my mind is going to be renewed. Because every time I do something, my mind gets a little shot of dopamine that says, oh yeah, I like that. And we want to transform our mind. Listen to me. You know what the Spirit of God did before God called everything back into order? Genesis said that the Spirit of God was was hovering over the face of the deep. The word in the original language is, is brooding. 
You know who broods? Hens. They brood. Did I get that right, Mary? Yes. A hen broods. What does that mean? It's when it has chickens, eggs, little little ones, right? And just hovers over them and protects them. And so over the chaos that was on the planet, God was hovering over it. Do you know what I, I think every time there's a chaotic day? You know how you win the day? You win the day not by having great days every day. You win the day by, by responding the right way in the chaos. Understanding that God is hovering over the chaos. And the same way that God can take the chaos of creation and call it back into order. If you'll just win the day, you know what God can take with the chaos in your life? He can just bring it right back into order. How do I do it, Pastor? I win the day. Would you stand to your feet? What an easy way to win. What an easy way to win. With Jesus, we are what? That's right. You know that's a scripture, right? Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Losing is not an option. A lot of people think, well, what is what is what does losing mean? Losing means everything always goes my way. No. Losing means no matter what comes my way, I still win because I respond in a way that glorifies and honors God. I cannot always control what happens to me. I cannot always control what happens around me. But I always have a say in what happens in me. And that's how we win. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the praise and all the honor in this place. And we thank you that you are such a good God. And Father, my prayer is that each person would be touched and shaken. And that every day they wake up, Father, they'll want to win by honoring you. If you're here and you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you don't know where you stand with Christ, if you don't know if you left the earth today, the ultimate win is leaving the earth ready for eternity. Listen, you can have a good day every day and still lose if you leave earth having not made Jesus the Lord of your life that the pass into heaven the ticket into heaven is Jesus there is no other way he said it he said I'm the way the truth the life no man comes to the father but by me are you right with Jesus Christ have you surrendered your life repented of your sin asked him for forgiveness and made him the Lord of your life if you're here and you've never done that but today you want to surrender your life to Jesus with no one looking around just slip your hand up so I can pray with you real quick is there anybody like that today pastor I want to surrender my life to Jesus today as you're thinking about that I know there's people out there if you want to give your life to Jesus just put your hand up to the Lord right where you are right now come on we're going to say this right now out loud for the benefit of anybody who's surrendering to Jesus right now say it with me Heavenly Father I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I make Jesus my Savior. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Bible says you've been born again. It simply means everything that used to be held against you is wiped out of the way. New lease on life, you and Jesus, for the rest of your life, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the oversight of the Father, who's better than you. Let's go ahead and win the day. God bless you. We love you all. We'll see you again next week.